Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I'm speaking to Janice Nearsed-Keegan from Maryland, USA. Janice is a sign language interpreter, mum of two and eating disorder recovery warrior. Janice started her first diet and compulsively exercising when only 11 years old. At 14 years old, her eating was still very restrictive and this developed into bulimia from 15 to 21 years. In the episode, Janice is going to talk about her recovery journey from bulimia, talking us through the combination of individual and group therapy that she experienced, then on to how she developed a healthy relationship with movement, including outdoor adventure and triathlons, with a focus much more on what her body could do rather than aesthetics. Today, Janice has been recovered now for many years and in her job as a sign language interpreter, her favorite type of interpretation is 12 Steps Addiction Recovery and Mental Health. She also loves listening to podcasts, learning and reading about eating disorders and personal growth and development generally. I'm really looking forward to speaking to Janice today to hear all about her healing journey and the exciting work she is doing. Let's get to the conversation. Hi, Janice. Thank you so much for coming on the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. Hello, Harriet. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. So, Janice, you are my first guest of 2023, so I'm very excited to have you here. (laughs) That's right. I didn't realize that. (laughs) (laughs) So, Janice, what's going on for you? Like, you're based in Maryland. I know we were talking a little bit off air before we came on, but, like, what's going on for you in Maryland? How's the weather and everything? Okay, so it's actually unusually warm today, which is wonderful. And I'm out off today, which is great. It's a federal holiday here because New Year's Day was on a Sunday. So I'm off today and actually getting paid because I'm a senior interpreter now at my company, which is great. So I'm off today and I'll be able to spend time with my family. And yeah. Brilliant. And you're a sign language interpreter, are you? Can you just tell us a little bit more about your job? Sure. Okay. So I am involved in the deaf community here in the U.S. So in the U.S., we use American Sign Language. So I'm an American Sign Language slash English interpreter. And I work full time as I'm a staff interpreter for a company. But the majority of work that I do is medical and mental health and addiction recovery interpreting. So I don't work in the field of eating disorders. I actually thought about doing that or doing some adventure-based counseling and other things that have helped me. However, my commitment is to the deaf community. So it's more general, Mm -hmm. but the work that I love is at the hospital and the behavioral health center and the inpatient psych unit. So I'm involved in a way. Mm, Sure. It sounds like a really interesting and such a valuable and I can imagine rewarding job. Definitely. Absolutely. Yes. Mm, brilliant. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing. I think I'm sure that'll be of interest to the listeners because it's quite an unusual job as well, isn't it? I, you know, I don't know if many people have those skills. Yeah, that's true. I live in Maryland and it's a huge deaf community here in the DC metropolitan area, Washington, DC, Maryland, Virginia. It's the hugest deaf community in the US. 
There's also a big community in Rochester, New York, but here in DC has the most access. So there are actually quite a lot of interpreters here because there are quite a lot of deaf people here. But yes, it is unique. And I first started out after I learned sign language, I had wanted to be fluent for so many years. It was a dream of mine. And after working, you know, taking classes and working in the deaf community, I actually went to Gallaudet University, which is the only liberal arts university for the deaf in the world. And we have deaf people from all over. And I actually got my master's in mental health counseling. And I was a counselor in the deaf community. But after three years, I burned myself out and I started interpreting nights and weekends and then found addiction recovery interpreting, which is interpreting for 12-step meetings like AA and NA and Naranon. And I actually was able to combine my, you know, the language interpreting and counseling together. I'm still in the field of mental health, but as an interpreter. Mm. Well, it sounds wonderful that you've been able to kind of combine the two and I guess find your sort of sweet spot, haven't you? That sounds exactly. like you're really great. Thank mm. you. It took a long time and a lot of thinking and, you know, finding my way, but I was able to do that. I love my work, definitely. And yes, Rich rewarded for it. Mm. Well, thank you so much for sharing. So, Dennis, obviously, like, although we are fascinated by your job, <laughs> the main reason we've got you here is because you have had your own eating disorder recovery journey, haven't you? You know, it was really wonderful just to hear a little bit more about that today. Could you sort of just tell us a little bit, you know, sort of take of us back really and tell us a bit about your story? Yes. Okay. So I feel like I guess I was in the middle of a perfect storm. I believe I have like all of the factors for developing an eating disorder, genetic, environment, diet culture, you name it. And actually, I was nine. I was actually 11. I don't know why I say nine, but it's 11. Mm -hmm. That's when I really started my first diet and actually like had the goal of losing weight and started biking around the track many times, over-exercising, biking everywhere. I would have to exercise before a meal. It's like how I earned a meal. And yeah, there were so many factors which contributed, but I do believe a lot of it was looking at the models in the magazines and wanting to look exactly like them and chasing that, that fantasy and kind of thinking that it was the only way that I would find love, which really sounds silly right now, but it really, really was. And that continued on. And then freshman year in high school, I was 13 when I got my period. And I inadvertently went up two sizes in pants. I went shopping with my mom and she was just appalled that I had somehow gained weight. And I think about, was it a small T trauma? I don't know, but it was a little bit public too, because we were out and I was trying on clothes and it was just very shameful. Like she was just angry that I had gained weight. And obviously it was because I had gotten my period. So that began, I guess, you know, triggered me wanting to get skinny. And uh, freshman year, 
in high school. So age 14, I was restricting, very much restricting. I also did that in, well, I did that all the way through, but I also was very into restricting my freshman year in college too, when I was 18. And at that point, I did lose my period for a year. So I don't know if I can say it was anorexia, but I definitely was rejoicing in, you know, feeling my ribs and that feeling of starving myself. So 14 was when I was doing that. And I started running with my dad. And, you know, I love my parents, but my parents were part of that generation. And I don't know what it was, but they did not want me to get fat. And I got that message in many different ways. The interesting thing is that it was also there for my sister, but my sister has a different personality. I'm more of a people pleaser. I really wanted their approval. My sister said, I don't care. I want to Mm -hmm. eat. And I ended up with the eating disorder. So my dad and I started running. Love my dad, but running with my dad was not a good thing. So I was starving myself. And what happened was when I was 15, we'd gone to a family party and there were all these appetizers and the dinner wasn't coming out and it wasn't coming out and I was starving. So I ended up eating potato chips and onion dip, my absolute favorite thing, of course, and I couldn't stop because I was so hungry and I ate so much of it that I became, you know, it was utter panic and I was terrified that I would just be immediately fat. And that was the first time that I purged. So I at first thought, oh, you know, I'm never going to do that again. And then I thought I kind of had found the secret key to being able to eat what I wanted and be skinny. So it ended up that I couldn't stop. I was able to eat like very healthy, you know, uh, for weeks, even a month or so at a time. But then I was so depriving myself of all the foods that I wanted to eat that I considered, you know, fattening. And I would just eat them all and throw them up. I ended up having bulimia from 15 to 21 or so, probably 22. So that's mainly what I had. Yeah. Mm. That really struck as well. Um, It sounds that you're quite young, weren't you? Like you say, 11 years old when you first thought that you needed to lose weight and you felt that real dissatisfaction with your body. So I'm really struck by that. It's very young, isn't it? You're still a child at that age. I know. It's sad. Yeah. My mom and I had watched this movie called Before and After. And that was when all of that before and after stuff started where, you know, people would show their bodies and then show them after. And I wanted that adulation. I wanted that like people's approval of my body. I believe that was when that whole thinking kind of started and, you know, wanting to, of course, look like Olivia Newton-John and I could never look like her, but I certainly tried to and hurt myself a lot in the process. Yeah, and it's sure, and it's so interesting, isn't it? How you said, like, you recognise there's a difference with you and your sister, and how there was something about you, perhaps that you were wanting to kind of please, and it sounds like perhaps a lot of pressure from your parents. You know, I guess they're not kind of realising, are they? They're just kind of brought up in this diet culture world and just passing on these messages unconsciously, really. But it's right. so interesting, isn't it? How for you, perhaps that was a different experience, and then 
your sister sort of interpreted that feedback very differently or is that right? Oh, yes, yes. Our personalities are pretty much opposite. She didn't buy into it. It just bounced off her. I was more malleable and I internalized all of it. We grew up with a lot of my dad, my mom would comment on other people's bodies. And it's a voice that's still in my head. You know, I have to be mindful of it and change the thoughts in my head. Because, yeah, they were always commenting on other people's bodies. And, yeah, I found out really quickly that I shouldn't look like that and that I'd better not. I'd better take whatever actions I needed not to. I believe, yes, that my father was, you know, I think trying to save me from the culture and how they treat women in larger bodies. And the thing is, is that I wasn't in a larger body, but I then sure believed that I was. So I think it was a more of a preventive thing. And my mom, she had her issues as well. I know that when she was young, her mother had made a comment about her body and she stopped eating for like three months. So, you know, she definitely carried a lot of, you know, that pressure, I guess, on her. And then it was all in her. Mm, yeah, like I guess it just shows the power, doesn't it? Not yes. only of the culture, but then in families, how those messages become so strongly internalized. They become our beliefs, don't they? And the way then that we feel, you know, that we have to conform to be accepted. Yeah, it's so toxic, isn't it? But it's so incredibly yeah. powerful. And like you said, I think it's just really helpful to acknowledge that, you know, you probably still have to fight some of those thoughts today and to be very consciously aware to, right. you know, be thinking about things differently. Yes, exactly. And Jen, so you were saying that when you first sort of fell into bulimic patterns of sort of purging, you felt yeah. that you'd sort of found the answer sort of to begin with. But I'm just sort of wondering... Yeah. Can you sort of just tell us a little bit about how that developed? Because I think I know from my own experience in the beginning, you know, maybe it felt that I sort of found this way out, but very quickly for me, and I don't know if it's the same for you, it spiraled into a very dark and horrible place. Yes. Oh, definitely. Same here. Yes. And I also, you know, like I had asked you if this story, you know, telling my story is public or not, because there are many people in my life who have no idea. But the thing is, is that bulimia is a disease of silence, shame. And, you know, you don't talk about it. So in high school, I mean, I thought I was the only one, you know, it wasn't until later that I actually found out about bulimia, the eating disorder. But when I was 15, it wasn't talked about. So I felt very alone in it. And it just got worse and worse. And it took over, of course. And I feel like that whole time I was trying to recover. I was trying to find ways to recover from it. You know, it's so similar to addiction, I believe, in that it's not like I planned to have bulimia from 15 to 21, you know. No, I was trying that whole time. You know, just like I think many addicts are trying, 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 and finding different things that help along the way that eventually add up and do help you. But yeah, I was a freshman in college when I first went to the counseling center at school. And I walked in and you had to write down your problem on a piece of paper. And I was like terrified. I stood around and I finally wrote down bulimia. I put it, you know, put it in at the desk and 
the counselor called me and I had a few sessions with her, but it was like everywhere I looked, I found other girls who had bulimia too. And it was like, I could just spot them. We could spot each other. And I ended up asking the counselor if she could set up a group. And so we all went in there Mm -hmm. and had a group at college, which was very, very helpful. And I look back now and still so many things that were said in there and also from friends who were also struggling with bulimia, things that they have told me in helping each other really did help me. That was very helpful. It was amazing to find out that I wasn't the only one that, you know, there were all of us in there. That was definitely helpful. That was the first time that I reached out for help with it. And Janice, can you say a little bit more about sort of what was it about the group that really helped you? Because I'm guessing there were many things, but can you sort of share with the listeners some of the things that really sort of help you to start to heal? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I remember some of the meetings like it was yesterday. I also think that I became very close with one. And I think one-on-one, we really supported each other. You know, even after college, continued to support each other because we had kind of met in that. She had broken her leg and she couldn't exercise. I was a big exerciser, you know, compulsive exerciser for sure. And she was too. And in fact, for her, over-exercise was a sort of purge for her. That wasn't for me. I only purged in throwing up, but she did over-exercise as a way of purging. And she had broken her leg and she couldn't exercise. And, you know, that was like devastating, very scary for her. But she found that she was able to get through it and that her therapist helped her see that she really didn't gain weight. It was more in her head. And then the therapist had encouraged her to have frozen yogurt. She really wanted to have frozen yogurt, but she would only allow herself to have it in a binge. But the therapist was like, why don't you just have it every day? Just have some frozen yogurt every day and, you know, see what happens. And she didn't gain any weight from that either. So, and then she ended up meeting a guy and falling in love and having a relationship with him and becoming intimate with him. And that she had said that she always felt that she needed to look perfect before she would, you know, be with someone, but that she wasn't. And that it turned out okay. I guess through her story, that kind of gave me hope. Mm. So it sounds like you really had a very close bond with this friend and actually that mutual sharing and understanding and acceptance. And I guess that's so healing in itself, isn't it? I'm thinking of sometimes the groups that I run for people with bulimia. And one of the most incredible things is to be able to talk really openly about the symptoms and and the struggles and to realize, isn't it, that you're not alone, actually, and that really helps to start to reduce some of the shame. Yes, because I think in the like behavioral health disorders, like eating disorders, you think it's you doing it, right? So you think it's you who can stop it, right? It's like addiction, though, in that, yeah, it's me doing it, but it's actually a disease, like it's actually a disorder. So I'm not just doing this because I want to. So I think that there's a lot of self-blame in bulimia. In my case, for sure, I thought that I should just be able to stop it. I mean, I remember putting on my calendar all the time, QB. And then when it didn't work out, I would put it another day, 
QB, quit bulimia. Like mm -hmm. I was just going to quit bulimia. And, you know, <laughs> that didn't happen. But another thing about that friend that I learned from her was that her therapist helped her realize that, you know, whenever she would binge and purge, she would allow herself to just veg and watch TV and relax in bed with a blanket. And really, she realized that that's actually what she really wanted to do, but she wouldn't allow herself to do it. And I really identified with that. And she felt that she was getting permission from herself by engaging in bulimia and then was able to relax. So I learned a lot from that because I think I got the same thing from it. Hmm. Yeah, it sounds like some really valuable sharing, I guess, in your healing journey there. They're definitely Very punishing to myself. Mm, yeah, no, well, thank you for sharing that. And I think yeah. just picking up on some of the points that you were talking about there yeah. with your friend, you know, I think sometimes with the exercise thing, the over-exercise thing, sometimes when we are forced to not be able to exercise, I mean, I think it's often terrifying, isn't it? But it can be the really helpful thing that we need. <laughs> And to realize, I guess, not to catastrophize, isn't it? Because I think, I know you're talking about that your friend didn't end up gaining weight. And I think, I suppose an important message for the listeners is I think, you know, for some people, weight restoration, weight gain might be an important part of recovery. And we can't always control that. And it's trying to find your happy, healthy place for your body, isn't it? That's right. That's right. I think it leads more to the set point theory. I think I agree with that, you know, that I think I had a crazy idea in my head like if I had you know binged and didn't purge it you know what would happen the next day I'd wake up and I'd be huge like mm, I think yeah. I had crazy ideas in my mind about how the body processes you know food and you don't have to eat the exact same thing every day to stay the exact same like you know your mm. body fluctuates but it kind of does find a natural spot and my natural spot isn't Olivia Newton-John you know, <laughs> like, you know, no matter what I did, no matter how I tried, I mean, I'm using her as an example. It's just that that's never going to be me, you know, coming to the place of acceptance. And, you know, I'm not going to destroy myself, you know, in mm. order to try anymore. No, absolutely. Such a great point, isn't it? Because I think, yeah, so much about recovery is about acceptance, isn't it? And letting go sometimes of these ridiculous ideals that we're holding ourselves to. And I think what you're saying as well about your friend and getting in the relationship and realizing in a way that she didn't have to be perfect. And, you know, we do put on hold these things. So thinking we have to be perfect or to look a certain way before we're going to be acceptable. But actually, I guess, again, it shows the power of relationship, doesn't it? Not just a romantic relationship, but just being seen and heard and accepted by another. How incredibly healing that can be and helpful in the bulimia recovery process. Definitely, because I think it is all about being you and mm. accepting you and then hopefully loving you. And if you can show someone else your real you and they accept and love you, yes, definitely. But it actually is more important that you accept and love yourself, you know? Mm. Yeah, no, incredibly true, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Like the relationships with others are vital, but the most important one is with ourselves, isn't it? And finding that self-acceptance. Right. And also, I think that connects with body dysmorphia. We can think we look one way when others 
see something else, right? It just connected to that, you know, for me, that we have to see ourselves as we are. And now a quick advertisement break. Are you a burned out, high achieving woman who's frustrated that emotional eating, weight gain and exhaustion are self-sabotaging your work and life? You're tired, fatigued, brain fogged, your cravings are through the roof and you feel so insecure in your body and that's impacting the way you show up in your business, career and life. Who could you be if you actually addressed your emotional eating struggles, built food freedom and made peace with your body? Free, that's what. Get support to fully overcome emotional eating, address hormone and gut issues and build the body confidence and connection you've always desired. If you're ready to address each piece, be sure to check out Amber Romagnac, emotional eating, digestive and hormone expert with nine years of experience, helping over 1,500 women with support on all of the above without diets, without restriction or quick fixes. She will do a full health assessment and help you get to the root of your symptoms with hormone testing, gut health, and of course, support to help your body come back to balance with your mind and soul. Visit amberapproved.ca to book a 30-minute body freedom call or check out the No Sugar Coating podcast today to learn more about the connections between our relationship with food, mindset, and our health, and how it impacts the way we show up in all areas of our lives. And Janice, what helps you to step more into that place of self-acceptance? You know, like obviously like relationships have been a key part of that and, you know, sharing with your friend, et cetera. But what other things do you think have really sort of helped you on that journey? Okay. So I sort of stopped in my story so far when I was 21. And what happened was I went to England. I was an exchange student. And it was the first time that I was on my own think for myself. And I was also living in a culture. I know that unfortunately it's been 30 years and I think England has unfortunately been Americanized in our beauty obsessed culture. But at the time in 1989, I found it to be a place that was not as focused on people's looks and much more relaxed about body, weight, size. It wasn't in the forefront like it is here. And I felt accepted. I felt more accepted there. And I was finally able to enjoy eating because the culture was more encouraging of it. You know, like my roommate and I, we had biscuits, you know, and tea all the time for people to come and go as they please. And the tea and scones. And, you know, we miss a train, we got a tea and scone. And, you know, I started eating and enjoying food. I didn't allow myself to in the US, right? And a lot of things about that being there and that experience really helped me to find me in a way outside of my family and mm. figure out my own values and all of that. And so I think that that really kickstarted me, although I had been trying all of this time to get out of my eating disorder, being there was immensely helpful. And then when I came back, I was really stopping purging. You know, that's what I was doing. I was stopping purging and I wasn't allowing myself to eat all the things that I wouldn't allow myself to eat except within a binge. I ended up, and I think it's similar to addiction, when you 
give up an addiction, you feel all the things that you didn't allow yourself to feel. I came back from England, had a major depression and allowed myself to eat and I stopped the purging and, you know, I probably had slips, you know, along the way, but for the most part, I stopped the purging and I started eating candy bars and things that I never imagined allowing myself to eat. I did gain weight and also my metabolism was really screwed up. So it took me several years to actually, I guess, get to my set point. So that helped me coming back. Then I went to Gallaudet University, which helped me. And what helped me there was I was involved in an adventure-based counseling program. And it was about doing like physical challenges and then debriefing about them. And it was all about like physical challenges, but it wasn't at all based on what your body looked like. So I got involved in rock climbing and caving and hiking and exploring nature and the debriefing, you know, really helped me actually with my self-esteem because my self-esteem was very low and that really, really helped me. And then I loved the debriefing. And so my uh, fellow students encouraged me to actually study counseling. So that's what I did. And being in the mental health counseling program, we were all required to go for therapy, thank goodness. So I actually had my first real one-on-one individual therapist. And I wasn't planning on telling her at all about the eating disorder. (laughs) And then, you know, one day I started telling a story and I kind of couldn't tell the story without telling her, you know, so ended up exploring that with her for a couple of years. So that was incredibly helpful. And then I did have other therapists over the years. But what helped me was doing things that showed me what my body could do and less focus on what it looked like. So I got involved in running and sprint triathlons. And I really, really enjoyed that. And I did trapeze, I did a lot of different things, you know, windsurfing, water skiing, it was like, wow, you know, my body could do this, but I was really trying to not focus on what it looked like, more on what it could do. So I think that that really was very helpful to me. Mm. Yeah, no, brilliant. Well, so many great things that you've shared there, Janice, which I think have been so sort of important in your recovery. Yeah, I just want to kind of like summarize some of those things. I think they're really so key for of sort of relating them in my own recovery, but also I'm sure for people listening. But I think the first thing when you were talking about moving to a different place, like you came to the UK, sometimes it can be a really helpful thing, can't it? Like even if we have loving, supportive relationships at home, sometimes we need some distance to begin to get to know ourselves, to start to think about our own beliefs and values. Sometimes that kind of separation can be you know, an important part of the process, can't it, you know? I was forced to, you know, think for myself. And yeah, I agree. Sure. And also talking about, you know, allowing yourself to eat so many of the foods that perhaps before you would have only allowed yourself to eat during a binge. And I think that's such an important part of recovery, isn't it? Because we can sometimes be so black and white with kind of what's 
kind of non-binge foods, what are binge foods, but actually when we start to permit those foods in, you know, in baby steps, that as well can just really take those foods off a pedestal, can't it? And they don't feel so sort of addictive or sort of magnetizing anymore. Yes, exactly. And the deprivation definitely leads to, for me, the deprivation was what led to the binges for sure. Mm, Sure. And I'm really struck by your journey in terms of embracing movement and activity and these physical challenges in various different aspects in your recovery. But it sounds like that was incredibly helpful for having a different relationship with your body, building self-esteem, realizing what your body can do. And I like you as well, you were talking about the debriefing and reflecting on some of those physical challenges. And it sounds like in that whole sense, it was just a very healthy relationship with movement, wasn't it? Which really helped you to shift forward and perhaps take the pressure off yourself so much with how you looked. Yes. And I think that the groups that I was in doing the different adventure-based, you know, counseling mm. kind of things, the groups were very supportive. And also I found Gallaudet to be a very accepting place. Now, not everyone would say that. You know, there are, of course, a lot of subgroups in the deaf community that may not believe that. But for me personally, I found Gallaudet a very accepting place. And I felt that I had found my community, you know, and it's still so much my community. And I think that, you know, that sense of belonging and that sense of purpose was also, you know, very important. And yeah, Gallaudet to me, I feel like England and Gallaudet together were like, they saved me. I was able to find out who I was, you know, start exploring that and develop my identity. And I found being in the community to be very supportive. Yes. And also, it is about the food, right? It is about the food and it is about, you know, the body, but it's about feelings too. So, I also recognize that in bulimia, I was like getting rid of the emotions that I felt I couldn't feel. So also part of my healing, you know, and then when I was a counselor also was, you know, learning to feel my feelings and the emotional deprivation that I did too, that I was just so hard on myself and learning to like self-compassion. I mean, It took years, but self-compassion and boundaries, being able to say no. I mean, these are things I still work on. Being good to myself is something I still work on. So it's all wrapped up. There are just so many things which cause an eating disorder. And so, so many things you need to unravel, I think, when you're in recovery. Yeah, no, it's so true, isn't it? I think what really strikes me from your story as well is you know, some of those experiences that really open doors to you finding that acceptance, that belonging, that purpose, where you sort of felt you could be yourself, where you felt you more fitted in, that they were your people. And I think that's such an important part, isn't it, of recovery to be able to step more into that place. Totally. Totally. I know that in your podcast, you you talk a lot about that feeling of not being good enough, not feeling good enough. And I definitely, definitely had that. And yes, so I agree that finding community, finding support, 
connection, acceptance, belonging, and also, yeah, your purpose for being here, what you were meant for, all of that. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely helpful. Mm, yeah and I guess as well it's you know I think important for the listeners to realize which you and I will know this well that it's, it takes time doesn't it and sometimes we only find out our purpose or understanding ourselves better by doing the things that don't work for us and understanding what doesn't work and it's a bit of a messy and imperfect road isn't it Yes, definitely. Oh my goodness, for sure. Like I said, I feel like I've tried so many things along the way, you know, and then finally found some things that helped. And I think, you know, it came from finally opening up and seeing what was inside and becoming vulnerable and in the groups that I was in. And also my mental health counseling program was almost like two years of group therapy, if you think about it, because our cohort, you know, we were always there. And that was the first place that I was very open with my eating disorder recovery. Uh, It was the first time too, I was able to share it with guys, you know, before that it was only girlfriends, but I was able to share it with, you know, my program and, you know, found out that people were very supportive and I was always so ashamed of it. That's the thing too, I wanted to talk about that Now I've sort of accepted this identity as an eating disorder survivor, but really for many years, I just kind of put it in the past, you know, and it wasn't until I was able to, I read Glennon Doyle's book, uh, Love Warrior, and in it, you know, she talked about bulimia and I picked it up at the library and I was reading and I was like, oh my gosh, I couldn't believe someone was talking openly about bulimia. It was like the first Mm -hmm. time it was like, wow, I can't believe she's sharing this. You know, then of course I read her books. I listened to her podcast. I found you. There are other podcasts I listen to. And it's kind of been like a re-recovery, like a, oh, like education that I didn't even know before. I'm able to connect the dots in so many ways in my story and, you know, kind of make sense of a lot of it. And also in the way that I recovered too. It's like amazing that, in my haphazard way, I did find these little ways to recover. But listening to it now and listening to the stories and the people that you interview, and it's just reduced my shame so much about it. And also finding out the genetics too. I believe I was genetically predispositioned as well. And then just every environment I was guys. <laughs> you know, pull the trigger, as they say. And it's amazing. And so now I'm sort of proud to be an eating disorder survivor. And I never thought that that would be something I would be. Mm. Well, thank you, Janice. It's so great that you have just been able to talk so openly, I think, about through the many, many different aspects of recovery. And it is complicated, isn't it? It's multifaceted. And it's an ongoing journey, isn't it? You know, like, although you have been kind of healed from your eating disorder for many years now. It's still an ongoing journey, isn't it? With the boundaries, with the people pleasing, with the fully stepping into your authentic self. But there's always more to learn, isn't there? Definitely, definitely, definitely. Yes. I also recognize that I went through kind of orthorexia, I guess. I didn't think of it as that at the time, but After I stopped my eating disorder behaviors, 
I was still exercising quite a lot and, you know, eating very healthily and all of that. But that sort of changed when I became a mom. When I became a mom and just going through pregnancy and childbirth and breastfeeding and all of that, it was just a continuation of being amazed at what my body could do instead of what it looked like. And then when I was back in the throes of it, I never thought that I would be able to, you know, have a quote unquote normal life, like with children and food in the house and all of that. And so it still amazes me that I'm able to have this. But yeah, exactly. I still have days where I'm not happy with my body, but I'm not going to destroy myself over it anymore. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing so openly. And I think when you mentioned about orthorexia, and I think it's not uncommon, is it, that part of the journey of eating disorder recovery sometimes can be a stepping stone for healing can be perhaps being in a slightly disordered eating place where we are still restrictive or we're overly preoccupied with the body, but maybe it's a step from where we were before. Yeah, I think so. I think it was a big stepping stone. Yeah. And it sounds like for you though as well, becoming a mom and, you know, the reflections that you would have made on that journey. And I guess, you know, being responsible and the relationship you want your little girls to have with their relationship with food and their bodies again that can be a real shifting point can't it I think in us sort of really sort of seeing a bigger picture and really wanting to you know change wholeheartedly right yes I had two girls and which at first I was like oh no (laughs) how did I get this challenge right And I think that at first I was very, you know, body positive, you know, just like, oh, your body's so beautiful, your body's so beautiful. But I think I've learned a lot from you, Harriet, in the talking about the body neutrality. And I think I try to do that with them. And, you know, that like, you know, their bodies are the least interesting things about them, you know, that kind of just less of a focus on it. And I learned a lot from them. They are much more confident than I ever was. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They are not hung up on looks and, you know, that kind of thing. So I learn a lot from them. So yeah, definitely. That's a a huge help too. Yeah, no, brilliant. Well, Janice, I could really talk to you all day because I think (laughs) there's so much interesting stuff to share, isn't there? And I think been so valuable just hearing all the different aspects you know that have helped you on your recovery and healing journey for anyone who's listening right now and who is feeling really stuck and in the depths of it all what would you say to them do you think like what are the words you would have liked to have heard yourself back when you were in the sort of depths of the shame of the eating disorder well I think that you're not alone and I would encourage people to take advantage of all that is out there, all that is out there that wasn't out there when I was going through it, the podcasts, the books, the stories. There really are a lot of people who have been there and come back through it. And I think that I would say, because now I look back and I think to myself that I really was trying to recover that whole time. It wasn't failure. But everything I tried, it all added up to helping me. So I think Mm. that keep trying whatever is helping, keep 
trying whatever paths you take in trying to help yourself. If it's through movement, if it's through spirituality, whatever it is that is helpful to you, you are in recovery if you're keeping on trying to get out of the eating disorder. And I think that it will take time, but what you learn over that time can add up to recovery. Yeah, no, great supportive words of wisdom. Thank you, Dennis. I'm completely with you with everything you've just shared there. Yeah, and I want to say two other things. I want to say that I'm still very in the deaf community and my husband and daughters are deaf. And so it's just still being a part of this community and working in this community. It has helped me find, you know, my place in the world. And also another thing that I do that helps is trapeze. It's Mm. all about challenging myself, seeing what my body could do, trying not to focus on what it looks like, but how it feels and what it can do. And so that continues to help me. Oh, brilliant. Would you be happy, Janice? I'm asking you this completely on the cuff here. Do you have like a photo of you doing your trapeze? (laughs) Brilliant. Well, obviously, I haven't asked your permission before we've been on the podcast, but if you're willing to share that, I think, again, like, just sure. so inspiring. <laughs> well, and Janice, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you, just connect with you in any way? Okay, let's see. I hadn't thought about that. I would love to be able to help. And that is actually why I am sharing my story. So I guess... Janice, let me just say to you as well, actually, if you want to have a think about that and let yeah. me know, I don't want you to feel under pressure to give out, you know, maybe you want to have a think about that. I could share my email with you and yeah, we could go from there. You and I could talk about how. Yeah, no, sure. No, that's fine. So you have a bit of a think about that. And then if you're happy with that, I can put it in the show notes or not. You have a think about what feels comfortable. Okay. Well, Janice, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank today. You for having me. <laughs> Yeah, no, brilliant. Thank you so much. I know it's going to be such a valuable episode for all the listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. Do go and check out all of Janice's info in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk. If you enjoy this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you would follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.